You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. Coming up this hour. Investors brace for the biggest Fed decision in decades. Vice President Kamala Harris says women's rights are under attack by Republicans. A Trump-backed candidate wins in Ohio. And Elon Musk reportedly plans to take Twitter public again in a few years. North Korea has launched another missile, plus comedian Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. Doubleheader sweep for the Mets. 11th straight win for the Yankees. The Rangers lost game one to the Penguins in triple overtime. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow, and U.S. stock index futures are on the rise this morning. We're coming up to 601 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up 18 points, Dow futures up 132, and NASDAQ futures up 39. 10-year Treasury up 4.30 seconds, yield 2.95%, and the yield on the two-year, 2.78%, and NYMEX crude oil up 3.6%. Nathan. Karen, we begin this busy morning with the most widely anticipated Fed decision in years. Today's rate hike is just the beginning, according to former IMF Chief Economist Kenneth Rogoff. I think the idea that just to 3% would be enough is really unlikely. I think they're going to have to raise interest rates to 4 or 5% to bring inflation down to 25 or 3%. Former IMF Chief Economist Kenneth Rogoff says inflation is now running at more than three times the central bank's 2% target. We get more on this afternoon's Fed decision from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. There may be more questions about how the markets will react to the Fed than about what the Fed will do. A half percentage point rate hike is all but certain. The Fed will also outline how and when it will begin reducing the size of its balance sheet, but it already put most of those details into the minutes of their March meeting. 
Investors have already priced in both outcomes. So any market move likely depends on the Fed, particularly Chairman Jay Powell, offering specific future guidance, saying perhaps the central bank will raise rates by the same amount several times in a row, or Powell delivering a surprise, say, suggesting 75 basis point hikes could be on the horizon. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Mike, thanks. Of course, we will have full coverage and analysis of the Fed decision beginning at 1 p.m. Wall Street time on a special edition of Bloomberg Surveillance. Well, the other big issue in Washington right now, Nathan, is abortion rights. And following news that the Supreme Court may strike down Roe v. Wade, Vice President Kamala Harris is warning that women's rights are under attack. How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? Vice President Harris spoke at the annual Emily's List Conference in Washington. John DeLavolpe is director of polling at the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics, and he says the leaked opinion could reshape the midterm elections. This is likely to be highly motivational for specifically young people who are unsure whether or not they're going to participate because um, they can now see in very tangible ways the difference that engagement makes. And John DeLavolpe of Harvard spoke with our Washington correspondent Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the show weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And we should note the Supreme Court has confirmed the leaked opinion is authentic, but says it's not the justice's final decision. Well, we have another major political story this morning, Karen. A candidate backed by former President Donald Trump has won the Ohio Senate Republican primary. Amy Morris has details from our Bloomberg 99.1 newsroom in Washington. Venture capitalist J.D. Vance won the GOP primary in Ohio after trailing in the polls just three weeks ago, and he knew who to thank. I have absolutely got to thank the 45th, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, ladies and gentlemen. Vance had called Trump unfit and noxious in 2016. Now he fully embraces him and his views. Analysts caution against reading too much into the outcome of just one race. Trump's endorsements will be tested in coming weeks with GOP primaries in states including Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. Amy, thank you. Now the latest on the war in Europe. Russia is shifting direction in its approach to the invasion of Ukraine. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports. This is nearly 10 weeks into the war and with its military stalled in many areas, including just marginal gains in the east, Russia is now focused on annexation of the areas it has occupied. The Kremlin is installing occupation governments, ordering locals to use rubles for transactions, and in some cases organizing referendums to open the way for full annexation. In public, the Kremlin says their advance will pick up, but for now... This action is necessary. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ed, thanks. On Wall Street today, earnings continue rolling in. And for a look at some stocks on the move following yesterday's reports, we bring in Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. Good morning, Nathan. Lyft poised to wipe off more than a quarter of its market valuation after the Ryan Healing Company's second quarter outlook disappointed. Lyft down over 27% of the pre-market. A planned increase in driver incentives could weigh on profits. Advanced micro devices delivering a strong sales forecast for the current quarter. The chipmaker continues to make gains in computer data centers. AMD up 6% in early trading. And Starbucks reported U.S. results that topped estimates. Shares are up 6%. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. 
All right, John, thank you. More news this morning on Elon Musk and Twitter. Musk reportedly wants to eventually take Twitter public again. And we get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. Elon Musk says he's planning to stage an IPO of Twitter as little as three years after buying it. That's according to Dow Jones, which reports Musk is talking with investors, including private equity firms, to help lower his $21 billion contribution to the deal. Private equity firms typically take publicly traded companies private to fix them out of the limelight. Then within five years, they take them public again. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. And a programming note, please join us this morning when we speak live with J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. That conversation is coming up in just about 25 minutes right here on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television. S&P futures moving higher, now up by 19 points. Dow futures up 140. NASDAQ futures up 42 points. The 10-year Treasury yield 2.95%. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. Now 6.07 on Wall Street. We're at 50 degrees in Central Park. And Michael Barr is here with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Nathan. Protests were held in the tri-state area over the leaked Supreme Court draft decision that, if final, would overturn Roe v. Wade. Sonia Osorio, president of the New York chapter of the National Organization for Women, says state lawmakers there legalized abortion several years ago, knowing this day would come. Reproductive rights activists and Governor Cuomo, we worked very hard on that in 2019. We finally passed that after several years of hard work. And we did that in anticipation of this leaked document and what is ahead of us. Sonia Osorio with NOW says men need to do their part to support abortion rights. Women do not get pregnant on their own. New York Attorney General Letitia James has long been outspoken about defending abortion rights. Now she has publicly disclosed that she had an abortion herself almost two decades ago. The Democrat told an abortion rights rally that she chose to do so when she was a newly elected New York City Council member. New York Governor Kathy Hochul reacted to the leaked opinion. This is something that we have fought against for my entire life. In fact, this is a battle my mother's generation It's a battle for my generation, my daughter's generation, and it seems like even my three-day-old grandchild, Sophia's generation, will have to be fighting this same fight, something that we had thought we had put to bed a long time ago. And I refuse to go backwards. Governor Hochul spoke while announcing Representative Antonio Delgado will serve as New York's next lieutenant governor. North Korea has fired a ballistic missile toward the East Sea from Pyongyang. South Korea will inaugurate a new president next week who is known to be hardline against the North. Analysts say North Korea's military provocations are likely to grow in the near future. Comedian Dave Chappelle was tackled on stage at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. It happened as Chappelle was just wrapping up his performance. The man was grabbed and punched by security guards. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Michael. Thank you. 
609 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stanchow. All right, Nathan, the Rangers. First playoff game at the Garden in five years, and it was a long one. Blue Shirts played a strong first period, not so good in the second. They let Pittsburgh take 25 shots on goal and score three times. Some Ranger penalties late in that period. Chris Kreider actually scored shorthanded, but then the Penguins tied the game, scoring with a two-man advantage. So it was 3-3, three to three, and it stayed that way. For the next 67 minutes of hockey until six minutes into the third overtime. Kapanen drifts to the far corner with it. Up the wall now. Back to the point for Marino. Wrist shot. Scores! Evgeny Malkin plays hero. Deflects it past Yesterkin. And you can slap it on the Broadway marquee. The Penguins take game one and lead this series one game to nothing. WXDX in Pittsburgh. 4-3. The final that goal came on the Penguins' 83rd shot of the night. Rangers in their Fans thinking about what happened with three minutes left in regulation. A Ranger goal taken away after the Penguins challenge, and the officials agreed there was goalie interference. Seemed like some evidence that it may have been caused by the Pittsburgh defenseman, but they will rest today, and they'll be back at the Garden for Game 2 tomorrow. The Yankees back in Toronto tonight. They'll be going for another sweep and a 12th win in a row. They pulled away last night, won 9-1, to scoring all nine runs over the last four innings. Aaron Judge got him going. His eighth home run in the last ten games. The Yanks put it away with six. In the seventh, a doubleheader sweep for the Mets over Atlanta. First five to four, then three nothing behind Carlos Carrasco. NBA playoffs, Boston routed Milwaukee. Memphis beat Golden State. John Morant scored 47 points. Both series now tied at one. John Stash Hour, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? All right, John, thanks. Looking ahead to the market open, looking ahead to the Fed. We have futures moving higher with S&P futures up 17 points. Dow futures up 130. NASDAQ futures are higher by 37 points. The 10-year Treasury is up 4.30 seconds with the yield now 2.95%. Yield on the two-year, 2.78%. Just how hawkish will the Federal Reserve be as we await that May decision? We check in next with Bloomberg Economics correspondent Michael McKee. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Rain will end around midday today. It'll turn partly sunny with a high near 65 this afternoon. Low 70s tomorrow. Showers return Friday with a high back in the low 60s. Currently 50 and rainy. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Tape. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures on the rise this morning as investors brace for the biggest Federal Reserve interest rate hike since 2000 and await more clues into how aggressively the Fed will tackle inflation. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg, S&P futures up 18 points, Dow futures up 133, NASDAQ futures up 39, the 10-year Treasury up 432 seconds, yield 2.95 percent, the yield on the two-year 2.78 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 3.6 percent, up $3.71 at $106.08 a barrel. COMEX gold is little change at 1869.80 an ounce. The euro 1.0526 against the dollar, British pound 1.2510, the yen at 130.01. And Bitcoin is up about 3% at $38,900. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Protests were held across the country over the leaked U.S. Supreme Court draft opinion that would throw out Roe v. Wade. In Los Angeles, a skirmish injured one officer. A new study found severe COVID-19 may cause long-lasting cognitive impairment, similar to how much brain power 70-year-olds typically have lost compared to age 50. 
In a couple of game ones in the NHL playoffs, the Rangers lost in triple overtime to the Penguins 4-3. Rangers goalie Igor Shesterkin talk about a tough loss, finished with 79 saves, second to the NHL record of 85. The Capitals beat the Panthers 4-2. NBA playoffs, the Celtics had tied at a game each. After beating the Bucks 109-86, the Warriors lost to the Grizzlies in Game 2, 106-101. That series even at a game apiece as well. Baseball, Yankees won 11 straight wins now. The Mets swept the doubleheader against the Braves. The Red Sox Nationals won. The Orioles, A's, and Giants lost. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists, analysts, more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Michael, thank you. It is 619 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak on a very important Federal Reserve Decision Day. We are joined live from Washington by Bloomberg Economics correspondent Michael McKee. Mike, good morning. We know we're in a Fed hiking cycle. We know they are laser-focused on tackling inflation. And I guess the, the question for investors is just how hawkish will the Fed signal it is now? Well, I have to say, uh, it's uh, nice to be back in Washington. March 3rd, 2020 was the last Fed meeting that was in person. Now, they met uh, in March of this year in person, but the press wasn't there this year is this is the first time we've been all back together. It's uh, it's interesting because usually I'll come in and I'll say, uh, Nathan, it's not uh, what the Fed is going to do. It's what mm-hmm. uh, they say. Yeah. In this case, it's what uh, Jay Powell does when he dodges the question on everyone's <laughs> mind. Okay. Is, uh, how does he present the possibility of moving faster than even 50 basis points? You know, he'll get asked about it. And the markets are almost pricing in 75 for June. And there's kind of a feeling like, well, you've told us you need to get to the neutral rate two and a half to three percent by the end of the year. So what are you waiting for? So it'll be interesting to see how specific he gets in laying out the future path. That is interesting because we were just uh, speaking moments ago with uh, Tom Porcelli over at RBC saying that it's not clear at this point, at least to him, what the Fed wants to achieve when it comes to getting inflation down to target or whether target is the goal at this point. And his point was that the the, uh, chairman needs to at least uh, talk toward market expectations. You're thinking he's not going to go there potentially? Well, I don't think he's going to be specific. He will probably want to leave himself uh, some wiggle room, some openings, uh, if the market uh, starts to get too aggressive and then the Fed feels like it's locked into something that, you know, there may be a a change in the economic outlook. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen with the war. Beijing today uh, extending its lockdown, so obviously more problems from China for supply chains. So uh, the Fed doesn't want to be pinned down until it gets much closer to the next meeting. Uh, So uh, Powell will probably say er everything's on the table, but we're not going to commit to anything yet. What are you expecting in terms of potential changes to the language in the statement? Are you looking for any major moves there? Nothing major. They're going to have to acknowledge that inflation is higher than they expected, and they'll take out uh, uh, the idea that uh, the the Fed may be one and done or something like that. They'll have some language in there referring to the idea that the Fed will continue interest rate uh, moves. Uh, They last time had an interest rate sort of uh, catchphrase in there of a significant uh, time over uh, 
the uh, 2% target uh, before the Fed would start moving. Now they're going to have to have something that says uh, we're going to continue moving because we think that inflation is uh, out of control. They won't say out of control, but uh, <laughs> we, we think inflation is too high and we want to continue attacking it. And it's going to take some time before we get to the point where it, it's uh, acceptable. And to your point, Mike, about being back in Washington for the first time since the pandemic, obviously a big change coming past COVID. What could we hear from the Fed when it comes to how they're thinking about how the economy is changing coming out of COVID? Well, I think uh, Powell will reemphasize, as he has uh, several times uh, in recent months, that the economy is very strong. And we got those jolts numbers yesterday, the, the job openings numbers, and they're still at a record level of uh, more than 11 million. And that just tells you at this point there's a lot of competition for employees, which means probably pay raises. And so uh, that adds to the inflationary pressure. So the Fed's going to reassure people the market uh, in the market and uh, the American people that we they don't think there's going to be a recession, that uh, they think they have scope to move. And just 30 seconds left here. The question I always ask you around Fed Decision Day, looking forward to hearing your question to Chairman Powell. What do you want to ask him? <laughs> well, I would like to know uh, how aggressive they could get. I think that the main question from everyone is going to be, uh, will you speed up the process by raising rates even faster? Mm -hmm. uh, they cut rates very quickly. Do they raise rates very quickly? Mike McKee, Bloomberg Economics correspondent. Part of our Fed Decision Day coverage kicks off live 1 p.m. Wall Street time, an hour ahead of the decision. Uh, with a special edition of Bloomberg Surveillance coming up on Bloomberg Radio and Television. Again, that's at 1 p.m. Wall Street time. S&P futures higher by 17 points. Dow futures up 121. NASDAQ futures up 37. Ahead of the Fed decision, this is Bloomberg. 625 on Wall Street. Stay with us for a live conversation with Jamie Dimon. Coming up in just a few minutes, live from the J.P. Morgan CEO Summit in London, this is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Six thirty on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager, and I'm Karen Moscow. And Bloomberg Daybreak is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Interactive Brokers charges margin loan rates from zero point eight three percent to one point eight three percent. Rates subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com/compare. Some of the stories we're following: the Federal Reserve's expected to raise interest rates fifty basis points today. Berenberg Chief Economist Holger Schmieding says the market's already looking for what's coming next. The market will listen very closely to anything that could give a pointer to what the Fed does in June and what it may be doing thereafter, which, of course, in these uncertain times, we may not get all that much clear guidance. But that's what the market will look out for, any guidance on what happens next. 
And Berenberg Chief Economist Holger Schmieding speaking to Bloomberg yesterday. Full coverage of the Fed decision beginning at 1 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio and Television. Definitely looking forward to that coverage, Karen. Right now it's 631 on Wall Street, 1131 in London, where the J.P. Morgan CEO Summit is underway. Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix is sitting down now for a conversation with the CEO, Jamie Dimon. Let's listen in now. This is Bloomberg. Thank you so much, John. Yes, we're in London, and we could not be more pleased. I say the royal we, but we're really delighted to speak to Jamie Dimon. Thank you so much for taking the time whilst you're in London to speak to us. So the Fed, the Fed, the Fed. Today, we're expecting 50 basis points hikes. What happens to inflation here? Is this your biggest concern? First of all, Francine, happy to be here and to give a little perspective. We have, and this is contradictory, I'm about to say, but both are true. Very strong U.S. economy. Yeah. They Consumers in great shape, lots of money, spending the money. Jobs are plentiful. Wages are going up, though everything is distorted by inflation and all that. But those are good news. And uh, businesses are in very good shape. And the Fed is going to have to raise rates and reverse QE. And they're going to, you know, if they can, they're going to try to slow down the economy enough so that 8% starts to come down over time. And I wish them the best. Yeah. You know, we're a little late. But, you know, remember two years ago we had 15% unemployment and no vaccine. So I think people should take a deep breath, give them a chance. And I think they got to move. I think the sooner they move, the better. Uh, so, yeah, they're going to be raising rates. Deep breath, but can they engineer a soft landing? Uh, or is there I, a worry I, of recession? In of the course. US? But you, none of us will ever know, right? But I, if I had a I'm, – I'm not a betting man. I just – the odds are the following. Something like, yes, they can engineer a soft landing, a third of a percent chance. Probably a third of a percent chance they can engineer a mild recession. Think of – we've had mild Fed-induced recessions before, you know, where inflation goes up one and a half or two percent, everything slows down, inflation is coming down, and it's six or nine months. And then there's a chance this could be much harder than that. And then in the face of all of that, you have Ukraine, which is a right. huge global issue. And Do you fear the Fed? And do you fear a policy mistake from the Fed and what that does to consumers? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of the Fed. I, you know, I, I, I'll change the subject a little bit. I think America needs very good domestic policy to improve the growth of the economy, which right. makes the Fed job easier. And that is about regulations and rules and policies and, and approving projects and things like that. So you have, you know, increase the supply side as opposed to, you know, do something with the demand side. So the Fed's job would be easier if we had very rational, thoughtful economic policy. What could go wrong? Though? I mean, you talk about, you know, a strong U.S. consumer, strong business. You talked also about storm clouds. What are those storm crowd, clouds? Well, the, and what's worst case scenario? Right? Yeah, I, I hate the word unprecedented, but there's kind of fiscal and monetary induced unbelievable growth in the U.S., which was true around the world, though it's obviously slowing down in Europe. That's abnormal. We've never really quite had that before. We've never had QT before. So, you know, you look at QE. That's one of the greatest experiments ever done. They're going to be writing books for 50 years on it, and we're going to have to reverse it. And that's a huge change in the flow of funds over time around bonds and rates and stuff like that. My own view is that rates are probably will still have to go up uh, from here. Uh, and then you've got Ukraine which, you know, I think is a potential, you know, when you look at Ukraine, obviously the wishful thinking is we have a Fed and do a slowdown works. Uh, the world is fine. Ukraine resolves. But there's a chance that this goes on for years and you completely rattle uh, global energy markets, wheat markets, commodity markets. And, you know, that, and we need, as you know, the Western world needs to be prepared for that and needs to take every action today to be prepared that that can get really bad tomorrow. And, you know, when it gets really but, bad tomorrow, you don't have time. So how do you handle that? How do, what's your plan B if it does go I, all pear-shaped? I like the fact that the, well, it, it will deal with it. You know, I mean, that's life. I mean, I, I like the, in my view, the most important thing is American growth 
and that America, you know, I call this Marshall Plan for Energy, that we do everything we can, and this doesn't violate climate change, it doesn't change anything about long-term objectives, but that we do everything we can to get oil and gas into the hands of Europeans so they don't freeze in the winter. You know, and I, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, you have a couple of problems out there. The, the national energy stuff is, the global energy is precarious. And if, you know, oil goes to 185, that's a huge problem for people, and we should do everything we can today. We need to pump more oil and gas. We need to Why are they pipelines. not, Jamie? I, if you look at the U.S. frankers, they could drill more. We get confused about policy and that somehow doing that is bad for the climate. It's not. You know, we need, you know, if you want transition, you need gas to replace coal. And we should approve all the green stuff, too. Even the green stuff takes five years to ten years to approve in the United States. I mean, America needs to get its act together, and they should have a war room. They should get everyone involved, get all the people, and say, what do we need to do in a consistent, coherent way? We need to get more gas to LNG terminals. We can't do that without a gas pipeline. You know, and so we're just not rational anymore. We, 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 we have misconceived notions about how we're going to get things done. And uh, so and they're trying. What's but, the know, role of Europe in this? Could, could Europe see a recession because of the energy prices? Absolutely. You know, our economists would say that Europe has slowed down to 2% or something. But the, 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 the problem with right now, and the economists would agree with me, we're looking at a static analysis that if things stay the way they are. But you and I know for certain things don't stay the way they are. And my view is there's a very high chance that oil will go higher. It only takes a million or two million barrels off the market a day that can drive prices up 30 or $40. And so we should prepare for that today. And... Uh, so, but, but, I, but, I, but I like the fact, I think it's great I, that the Western world has gotten together. Yeah. I and mean, who would have thought that Europe, Putin would get Sweden, Finland, Germany, Switzerland, all of us to, but that working together part, yeah. we need to make permanent for how global quickly, security. James, first of all, just going back to the European economy, how quickly could we see a recession and how uh, deep uh, could it be? I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I hate to guess the future. No one really knows the future. I've never seen anyone really guess it well. But again, if you have, if Ukraine gets worse, I would assume that Europe's going to go to a recession. It may take a couple of quarters, but I would assume that. Are sanctions working? So are the sanctions trying to deter Russia from continuing the war in Ukraine, or is it just to, to try and put the Russian economy on their Yeah, well, sanctions are not the same as ha having tanks and airplanes, okay? But they are working to the extent that, you know, the Russian GDP is going to drop by 10 or 15 percent with the current sanctions. And remember, there, there are sanctions and also the export controls and stuff like that. And, you know, the next round, if Europe really stop, stops oil and you can really stop oil being delivered, you know, Europe, I mean, Russia, it can get another 10 percent down. So it's a tool in the toolkit. It's not definitive. What's definitive is tanks. So, you know, we, we're not, don't, don't confuse the two, but, you know, one is a pretty powerful, the sanctions are a pretty powerful tool. But if you expect this to last for, you, I think you said years. I don't expect it. I said we should be you prepared for it, too. I don't know what's going to happen. But how do you see this ending? And actually, if you're, if, if you're a president of the U.S., if you're a president of the commission, if you're the Fed right now, you need to game theory, and it could go either way. It's like a three-way system. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Is I it, plan is for it all three of them. I, I think it's a mistake to guess at which one will be. It, it should be all three of them. And I think, you know, I think basically the Cold War is back. I think the whole world learned something that we always knew, that national security is always the most important thing, but it kind of recedes in the background. We're all doing well. But now it's the most important thing. It should be the most important thing for the rest of our lives. So maybe we all learned that that, that is a permanent state of affairs. The Cold War is back. Uh, the right. Allies have to coalesce, and not just for military purposes, but for global, exactly. economic, strategic investment purposes so that we've got a safe world. If, uh, and if we don't do that, you know, you, you, you see Ukraine, you can see all around the world. 
you will see forms of chaos. So the impact on the economy, I mean, would you go around a trading floor and tell the, the young kids that have never dealt with inflation <laughs> that actually interest rates could be up at 5% shortly? Of course. I mean, of course, that's, you know, things change. And you know, I, I mean, I think you can easily see 5% uh, bonds. Now, bonds have already, you know, 10-year bonds have already reacted dramatically, and hopefully it won't go a lot. But I don't think it's a disaster. I don't think a slowdown is a disaster. I don't think a mini, I mean, look, when you say a mini recession, I feel for the people who get hurt in that. But it's not a disaster for the world economy. I think right. the potential outcomes of Ukraine are. And, I, and you've got to just separate the two. And just remember, when you talk about war, we didn't know how bad Vietnam was going to get. We didn't know how long Afghanistan was going to last. The Russians didn't know how long Afghanistan was going to last. You can go war after war after war. They were not predictable. You didn't know that World War One was going to be like that. You didn't know that World War Two was going to start in, so, in September of 1939. So I think predicting the outcome of this war, you've got to be right. very careful. But so why are markets so relaxed? That's markets. You know, I'm, uh, that, that can change just like that. Do you think it will? Or are we expecting a big correction? I'm not guessing. I don't know. I mean, again, Francine, my job in life is to, I will serve our clients with thick yeah. or thin and our country, stuff like that. And, of course, we're always, I mean, as a rule of thumb, we're always prepared for bad outcomes. Not because we're predicting them, because I need to say to the shareholder, the American public, my regulators, you know, the, the U.K., that J.P. Morgan will be safe and sound and help your country and your people if things get bad. And that is our job. Now we're dealing with a whole bunch of different things, and we're prepared. You know, we have extraordinary capability and capital and earnings power. And uh, Where's China in this right now? You know, look, I, I, my view is that China can't possibly like this. And they're playing, if you look at them, they're playing a very neutral role. They're not trying to anger the United States. They know that the American Congress may very well, the Congress, not just the president, can come in and put you know, these secondary sanctions. They do $3.5 trillion of trade with the West imports and exports. They do $150 billion with Russia. Okay, one number is... Crazy. ...are up about 16 points. Dow futures up 109. And Nasdaq futures up 38. The DAX in Germany is down about two-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 5.30 seconds. Yield 2.95%. And the yield on the two-year, 2.77%. NYMEX crude oil is up about 4%, up $4.04 at $106.47 a barrel. COMEX gold is little changed at 18.70 an ounce. The euro, 1.0524 against the dollar. British pound, 1.2516. Seven and the yen, one twenty nine point nine seven. Bitcoin this morning higher, up more than three percent, at about thirty nine thousand dollars. And earnings this morning, we heard from CVS Health. It raised its outlook for the year as the health giant's first quarter profit beat analyst estimates. We're waiting for more earnings this morning. We're supposed to hear from Moderna and Yum Brands, among others. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Vice President Kamala Harris spoke forcefully for abortion rights in reaction to the leaked Supreme Court draft decision threatening Roe v. Wade. At a gala hosted by the pro-democratic group Emily's List, Harris said Republican leaders are trying to weaponize the legal system against women. How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? Vice President Harris called on voters to elect Democrats who support legal access to abortion. Meanwhile, Kerry Severino, president of the conservative-leaning Judicial Crisis Network, said the Supreme Court should respond to the leak by releasing the opinion now. 
we should just put this opinion out. At this point, I don't know how much uh, editing the court wants to do anyway when you have a situation where people are going to be effectively comparing a red line version of the original and the result. Severino, speaking to ABC, responded to Chief Justice Roberts saying the leak of the draft decision is a betrayal. In sports, a couple of game ones in the NHL playoffs. The Rangers lost in triple overtime to the Penguins 4-3. Rangers goalie Igor Shesterkin. Boy, what a tough loss. Finished with 79 saves, second to the NHL record of 85. The Capitals beat the Panthers 4-2. In the NBA playoffs, the Celtics are tied at a game each after beating the Bucks 109-86. Warriors lost to the Grizzlies in Game 2, that series even at a game apiece. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Aaron. All right, Michael Barr, thank you. It is 649 on Wall Street, and we turn to news and science and technology now with the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology. NJIT is dedicated to bolstering support for female and minority students pursuing careers in high-paying STEM industries. Learn more at njit.edu. And now here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. In Shanghai, the final exit from a punishing five-week coronavirus lockdown is being delayed. That's because of infections persistently appearing in the community. Meanwhile, in Beijing, residents are being urged not to leave the city unnecessarily, and schools will suspend in-person classes. Beijing is trying to avoid the chaos caused by the Shanghai lockdowns. Airbnb says it sees substantial demand for travel heading into the busy summer season after more than two years of COVID-19 restrictions. Airbnb, along with its rival Expedia Group and Booking Holdings, have said they expect this summer to be one of the best the industry has ever seen. And the ocean shipping industry, among the world's biggest polluters, is asking a key regulator to overhaul its emissions directives so that all carriers are working off the same rule book as they make the expensive changes needed to cut output of harmful carbons. With roughly 90% of global trade transported by sea, the World Economic Forum says the industry emits more carbon annually as Germany and the Netherlands combined. And if shipping were a country, it would be the world's sixth biggest greenhouse gas emitter. And that's the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Nathan. All right, Karen, thank you. We are live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. We're at 651 on Wall Street. Let's take a look at some of the names moving in the pre-market. Bloomberg Radio and TV Markets correspondent Kriti Gupta is with us on this Fed decision morning. But, Kriti, we got a lot of names moving on earnings this morning. A lot of earnings moves for sure. Lyft is really at the top of that list, down 26%. And this, of course, comes after they're talking about a weaker-than-expected outlook and a planned increase in spending on driver incentives that could weigh on profits. Remember, they're dealing with those higher jet, higher uh, driving fuel costs as well that they were subsidizing, but still it looks like that increase on spend really rattling investors. We are also waiting for Uber this morning, UBER. Those shares down 5% in the pre-market, really coming up ahead of what they were expected to report after the bell. They've moved up their earnings uh, to the top of the hour, so we will, of course, keep you posted on that. The other one you want to keep an eye on, Nathan, is Airbnb, ABNB is your ticker up 5% this morning coming off of a second quarter revenue beat. Substantial travel demand really helping that stock. And speaking of substantial demand, we should talk about Starbucks. SBUX is your ticker up 6.3%. They did suspend guidance for the third and fourth quarter due to lack of visibility into Chinese markets, but they said those U.S. results, they're strong and they're accelerating, excuse me, those store growth plans. 
All right. Bloomberg Radio and TV Markets correspondent Kriti Gupta as the earnings parade accelerates. Kriti, thanks for that. 652 on Wall Street. Now we want to check what's happening in D.C. Some of the top stories in our nation's capital include Vice President Harris warning that women's rights are under attack after the Supreme Court abortion leak. J.D. Vance knocking a win for Trump in the Ohio Senate primary and President Biden accusing China of trying to meddle with the competitiveness bill. For more on all these stories, we're joined live by Bloomberg government reporter Emily Wilkins. Emily, suddenly abortion rights has become topic A in Washington, as we certainly heard last night from Vice President Kamala Harris. Oh, yes. Vice President Harris, she gave this really powerful, passionate speech, um, criticizing Republicans uh, and criticizing their role in uh, potentially rolling back Roe v. Wade. I mean, of course, Nathan, this all came about because Politico leaked a draft opinion uh, from Justice Alito, uh, basically saying that Roe v. Wade needed to be overturned in an upcoming decision. Now, the Supreme Court has said that that document is authentic, but has reminded everyone that that's not the final decision at this point. This is a draft from February. We're not expecting a decision until June. At the same point, Nathan, I mean, that's mattered very little, I think, to a lot of lawmakers who are expecting to see the end of Roe anyway, and have kind of use this as as a time sort of launch there launch launch an effort that we did expect to see come a little bit later this year um but Harris, you know, really criticized Republicans saying, how dare they tell a woman what she can or can't do with their body? And also warning that this particular uh, leaked draft that we saw wouldn't necessarily just stop at impacting abortion, but could also go on to impact other Supreme Court rulings, such as the ones on gay marriage and a 1965 ruling uh, that show, says couples have a right to privacy in their contraceptive choices. Yeah, so obviously this has the potential to galvanize uh, base voters on both sides. What kind of impact could this have on midterm elections that, at least in this primary season, are now underway? Well, I think one of the most interesting groups to watch here are are suburban women. That's been a group that's played a key role in 2020. They played a key role in 2018. They are swing voters, and they're voters that really both parties have tried to message to and to talk to. And you do have a large majority of women that say abortion should be legal in either all or most cases. But here's the trick, Nathan. Democrats are going to have to convince these female voters that it's more pressing for them to vote on abortion than it is for them to vote on other issues like inflation, like supply chain. Uh, Biden's approval rating is pretty low right now, and Republicans are planning to attack him. Uh, And we saw this kind of play out last year in the Virginia governor's race. Uh, Certainly at the time, we didn't have this, this leaked draft. Uh, But at the time, uh, Texas had just imposed their six-week abortion ban. And that was something the Democratic nominee really ran on, really talked about. And you saw him lose to his Republican counterpart, who is more focused on issues like the economy and COVID. And so that's going to be a real messaging challenge for Democrats. There's certainly a lot of people who feel very strongly on this issue. The question is, is that going to be the number one issue that turns them out to the ballot box? Now, it's interesting you bring up the uh, Virginia governor's race. That was one where the Republican who ended up winning sort of kept former President Trump at arm's length. Overnight, we had an Ohio Senate primary where the winner embraced former President Trump. 
Yeah, it just shows to go that, you know, different states got to have different uh, different techniques. But, yes, venture capitalist J.D. Vance, if that name sounds familiar, you've probably read or heard of Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, he had a come-from-behind victory for the U.S. Senate seat in Ohio. And this is something where, you know, he wasn't necessarily leading in the polls, and then he got the endorsement from former pre- President Trump. Um, and Vance has really run as a, as a Trump-like candidate. Uh, he's walked back his former criticisms of the president. Um, and this was a race where you had, you know, several, it was an interesting dynamic because you had a different candidate, uh, Josh Mandel, who was backed by a very conservative Republican group called Club for Growth. Usually Club for Growth and Trump are on the same page. Uh, but this time they split. Club for Growth put a ton of money behind this other candidate and he lost to Trump's preferred choice. And this really kind of shows the grit that uh, Trump can continues to have on the Republican Party, even after he's left the White House. And we're going to be watching throughout this month. I think every Tuesday there is some sort <laughs> yeah. of campaign in which Trump has an endorsed candidate. And we'll see how they do. All right. Bloomberg government reporter Emily Wilkins keeping an eye on all things politics from Washington. Read more at Bloomberg.com or on the Bloomberg Terminal and listen to Bloomberg Radio in the nation's capital. Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We are watching shares of Moderna this morning. The pharmaceutical maker, the COVID-19 vaccine maker, out with a big first quarter revenue beat. The shares are up four and a half percent in the pre-market. On a Fed decision day where we're seeing futures move higher as well, S&P futures up 16 points. Much more to come on Bloomberg Surveillance with Tom Keene, Jonathan Farrow, and Lisa Abramowitz. For Karen Moscow, I'm Nathan Hager. This is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.